Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from all three readings as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, today is the last Sunday of the church year. Sometimes you hear this Sunday referred to as Christ the King Sunday. And that's because often the focus on this Sunday and the readings you hear revolve around Christ's second coming, when he comes as true king, and we will see him as he truly is. That is, the king of heaven and earth. I mean, just listen to it from the readings. From Jude, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To Jesus belongs all glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Whew. From Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to God his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Anybody else just get goosebumps at that? And from Mark, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect. The last one, we get that image of Jesus coming again, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, with the angels who will gather all believers to him. And we move beyond this Sunday, as we move past this last Sunday of the church year, we begin a new season of the church year, a new church year, and we'll turn our eyes to Advent and anticipate that first coming of Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate him being born. And as the wise men referred to him, the one who has been born king of the Jews. This led Herod to fear for his throne and do everything in his power to end Jesus' life, including killing all the babies to and under in Bethlehem. And in a few months, we'll get to Palm Sunday, and we'll hear Jesus welcomed into Jerusalem as king, with many people expecting Jesus to come and sit on the throne of his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David and overthrow the Roman rule. Neither of these things happened. Jesus didn't end Herod's reign or conquer the Romans. But that doesn't mean he isn't a conquering king who reigns. He is that. Just not in the way we might view a conquering king. And that's because we all have this different picture of who God is, or what God should look like, or what God should be, and how God should act. And it always doesn't line up with the biblical picture and narrative. That's because the images that we are placing upon God come from our sinful thoughts and feelings compared to the perfectness of God. So even the pictures that we show of scenes aren't perfect. It comes from a, a worldview that changes as often as the wind blows, rather than a biblical worldview that is 
unchanging. They come from this worldly human idea rather than a godly one. That's because anything outside of God and his word is not perfect. And when you combine God and his word with the world and with people, well, there are bound to be mistakes and errors that happen. That's because the world and people are not perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. Pastors are not perfect. The church, the body of Christ, his people are not perfect. It's made up of sinners. That's why we, the church, have to turn to the inerrant word of God rather than solely relying on the word of man. Because man is imperfect. But God is. You see, we're all in the same boat. You, me, the entire world. And this boat has all kinds of holes in it because of sin. We're in this sinking ship, if you will, and the end result is that this boat is going to sink. You are going to die. There is no stopping that from happening. That's because the consequences of your sin is death. Once sin entered the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, death entered the world as a consequence of sin. I mean, that was the part of the punishment to Adam. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. We were reminded of that at yesterday's funeral, that death will come for us all. But the consequence of sin isn't just physical death. It's eternal death as well. It's hell. This is the sinking boat that we're all in, death and damnation. So what do we do? Well, there's a number of answers to this question that you'll find inside the church, outside the church. So let's take a look at some of those responses that we can have to this sinking ship that we're on. The first is, well, we can try and do everything to save ourselves. Bail the water out, plug the holes, try and row the boat to shore before it's fully submerged. You need to save yourself. No one else is going to, so you either die or you get to work. This is what we call works righteousness, that you have to save yourself. It is your works, your actions that lead to your salvation. You have to do something. Yes, Jesus died for you, but you still have to do something. Yes, Jesus is your Savior, but he didn't save you completely. You need to accept. You need to make a decision. You need to do this. You need to do that. This is what is required of you in order for you to really be saved. To that, we look to God's word. And in Romans chapter 3, we see, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Your good works, your actions, whatever you cannot do, 
whatever you do cannot save you. Anything that you try and do will never meet God's perfect standards. And thus, the only thing that you'll find in your actions is that you aren't doing enough. You cannot do enough. And if you think you are doing enough, you can never be fully sure, fully confident that you've done enough because you are trusting only in yourself and you are a sinful, flawed individual. Unless you don't believe that you are, which leads us to number two. The second response that you can have to this is this sinking boat, you look at it and the holes and, well, you didn't make them. Somebody else must have done them, and, and thus you don't need to fix them. I mean, sure, it may be sinking, but it's not your fault. Not your fault it's sinking, so it's all good. Those aren't my holes, you say. They were from the previous owner. That hole of greed? Nah, I'm content. That hole of envy? Psh, people should know that I'm completely content and they should be envious of me. That hole of pride? It's not pride when it's the truth. That hole of lusting? Well, nobody's getting hurt, really. That hole of hatred? Well, I love everybody equally. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, in fact, come, come watch me love my neighbor as much as I love myself. See? That part of the boat, it's fine. And if God wants these holes fixed, well, then he can fix them himself. And if you don't see these holes as your problem, you'll never have a reason to fix them because it's not your responsibility. It doesn't matter if you sink or not, it's, it's not your fault. So when we turn to God's word, and listen to the words of David from Psalm 51.5. We hear, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Whether you believe it or not, you are the problem. Because you are a sinner. Everyone who has been born has been born into sin, and thus is a sinner. And if you can admit that, that you are a sinner, then you are on your way to number three. The third response one can have is to admit that you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, that you need somebody to save you. And as a result, you call for help. I mean, maybe you've already been bailing. You just can't bail fast enough. Maybe you realize the boat isn't going to magically repair itself by you denying the problems whatever it is. You realize that whatever you do or don't do, you keep sinking. And, well, you don't want to drown. So you call for help. You send out your SOS. You call out to Jesus to save you. Except here's the thing. By the time you realize you need to be rescued, Jesus is in the boat already. In fact, he's always been in the boat. By the time you realize you need help, 
Christ is already in the boat and has already fixed your holes. Romans 5 tells us, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in our boat, sinking, drowning, condemned to death, Christ rescued us. And he did this because he, we could not rescue ourselves. As Ephesians 2 says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead men floating in a sinking boat. There is no hope for us. Christ is our only hope. And calling out to him to come and rescue us, well, it's not something we do on our own. It's through the Holy Spirit working in us, giving us the gift of faith to understand that we need a Savior. And why won't we call out to him on our own? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And I don't know if you know this or not, but dead people can't call for help. Jesus comes into our sinking boat that is bound for destruction. And he fills the holes that have been put there by sin. He fills the holes. He plugs them with the nails that were in his hands and feet. He rescues you by dying for you. He becomes your lifesaver by laying down his life for you. Why? Because he loves you. And because it was the only way. He doesn't want you to die. He wants all people to be saved. He does not want you to suffer hell, so he took hell for you to give you heaven. He doesn't want you to have eternal death. He wants to give you eternal life. And his resurrection proves that he conquered sin, death, the devil, and hell for you. Because he lives, you shall live also. And he wants to live with you. He wants to dwell with you. To be in your boat, if you will, forever. And your guarantee, your assurance of this, how you can be confident knowing that this is true, is because Jesus has given us his means of grace. He has given us his word, the Bible. He has given you baptism. He has given you the Lord's Supper. He gives you his forgiveness in the absolution. These are his means of grace that give you that assurance and confidence in your salvation. And yes, Jesus uses sinful, imperfect people to give his means of grace. Now that should be the end. But it's not. Because there's one other response we want to talk about, but we had to talk about number three first. So the fourth response you can have to your sinking boat is to do nothing. I mean, maybe, maybe that means that you deny that there's something wrong with the boat, or at least, you know, the part that you're sitting in which kind of goes back to number two. Maybe you believe that the boat isn't actually sinking. Maybe you don't believe that the sinking boat is actually real. You see, there are people that 
deny the existence of hell. Even people who have read the Bible will make this claim. I've seen plenty of people that I've known end up going down this path of denying the existence of hell. They say that it's a, a construct that the church invented to scare you into believing so that you will just conform to whatever the church wants you to conform to. That the church is just brainwashing you and they're using the fear of hell to do it. Another reason is because how can a loving God condemn people to hell? That's not loving. So either he's not loving or he's not God. That he's not this all-powerful God. Or that hell isn't actually a real place. And the other response that follows that is that all people, all people are going to heaven. And that's the only thing that a loving God can do and would do. We call that universalism. All paths lead to the same place. To that, we would respond with, if any of those things are true in number four, then we don't need Jesus. We don't need his birth. We don't need his death. We don't need his resurrection. We don't need Jesus for anything. And if we don't need Jesus, then we're obviously not going to question whether or not he's actually the Son of God. And if we don't need Jesus, and if there's such a thing as sin, well, we can just go back to number one. We can bail ourselves out. We can save ourselves. The end. Good day to you. But Christ was born for you. Christ did die for you. Christ did rise for you. And he has given his church his perfect word. He has given his church the keys to forgiveness and salvation. He has given his church the way to eternal life. And it comes from and through him because he loves you. And he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can believe, so that we can discern the truth from the lies, so that we can see Jesus as our conquering king who triumphed over sin and the grave, who descended into hell to proclaim his victory, who rose again in glory, and who will come back and take all believers to himself on the last day. And this is not something to be afraid of. This is something that we're called to be ready for, to hope for, because Christ's second coming is good news of great joy for all who believe. And to our loving, conquering king, we say, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. God, your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our conquering King. Amen.